If you have your Bibles, could you take them? And if you have a physical copy, like hard copy, that's great. If you have a digital copy, yeah, take that and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going through the book of James. Particularly, we're going to start today, begin reading in verse 19. So Rachel uh, Malia is going to come. We're going to be re- begin reading in verse 19. She's going to read till the end of the chapter. So that's James 1, 19 through 27. Rachel, come. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I appreciate it, Rachel. So a friend of mine, many of you know him, uh, Al Demers, had a regular, has a regular question that he asks. And it's uh, more than just chit-chat or small talk. It is an entry point into a conversation. So the question he asks is, how are you and God doing? How are you and God doing? I think it's an important question. I think it's a helpful question. It's a good question to ask, especially these days. When you may be experiencing more pressure and more change than you've dealt with in recent memory where you might be feeling frustration compounded upon more frustration. How are you and God doing? Maybe you're dealing with pain. Maybe you're dealing with loss. Maybe you feel like you have reached a breaking point and you thought you had reached one two weeks ago. And now more has come. How are you and God doing, as you think about your answer to that, as you analyze how you might respond to how you and God are doing Scripture, particularly the book of James, particularly the passage we looked at today that Rachel read just a moment ago, actually is concerned about something else, and that is even in answering that question, how are you and God doing, you could potentially be deceived. Actually, the way James says it is you could deceive yourself. You could answer that question, but in answering, your, your heart may be not dialed in right. You could think something and it not be the case. So when you end up deceiving yourself, what you know is you have yourself to blame. So when you end up deceiving yourself, you thought your way was best, you didn't pay close enough attention, you noticed something, but you didn't do anything about it. You thought something was meaningful, you told yourself it was valuable, and in the end, it really wasn't deceiving ourselves. 
when it comes to relationships. That's the, like, that's the worst, especially when we're talking about deceiving ourselves in our relationship with God. Good news today is that you don't have to walk out of those doors deceiving yourself. I'm not saying any of us, none of us will walk out of these doors perfect. But we don't have to walk out self-deceived. And I, I find because James pushes in some specific directions, we can, we can learn some things. And, and what I, w- I want to lead you to do, I want us to walk together as we ask three diagnostic questions. And in asking them and in trying to answer them, actually, I think what could happen is our heart might get exposed. But that exposure may bring us out of the dark into the light, and we will not be deceived. So what are those questions that I think James is prompting us to ask? Question number one, am I humbly receiving the word? Am I humbly receiving the word? Verse 21 there, that Rachel read a moment ago, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive the word, the implanted word. Receive it with meekness. Receive the word. God's word was introduced to us last week in the book of James, where James 1.18 says, by his own will, he brought us forth. He gave us life by the word of truth. Life came from outside of us. It wasn't self-generated. The God who said in Genesis 1, let there be light and there was light, said to our souls, let there be life, and brought us forth by his own word. He brought us to the truth. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Our eyes have been opened initially to see the truth about who Jesus is. But it isn't just receiving this word initially that I think James is talking about. I think James is also talking about receiving it continually. Continually receiving the word of truth. Receive it with meekness. Receive it with humility. Receive God's word with a recognition that you don't know it all and I don't know it all. Receive it with a recognition that we need God's mercy to hear his voice. Keep receiving the word to understand exactly what James is talking about. You do need to understand exactly how he uses the term word here because it's going to be used multiple times in this passage. That term word, as it's translated, is basically God communicating God revealing something of himself. God disclosing something about himself. It's revelation. It's a message. It's a a word. Receive the message. Receive God's communication. Receive his revelation, his disclosure of who he is. It's It's a loaded term here. Because what he's not just saying is receive the word. And by that, I mean, why don't you take a look at a Bible verse every now and then? That is not what he's saying. Receive this message, this revelation from God. And that's a huge thing, the message. When we start talking about God's message for us that we are meant to receive, we are talking about the message of God's rule 
that God is Lord and sovereign over everything. Receive that message. Receive it with meekness. Receive the message that God has created everything. This is the word we're meant to receive. Receive the word that God made image bearers. God made image bearers, but we've turned our back on him. We've rebelled against the one who made us in his own image. Receive the word, receive the message of God's love, that God loves sinners. People like you and me, because we've all sinned, every one of us. God loves us so much that he wants to be our light and our refuge and our strength and our salvation and our song. Receive the word, receive the message of God's redemption and his grace. God doesn't talk, just talk about grace. God demonstrates grace by making covenants with people. God makes these solemn, binding promises to people. And he delivers on those covenants. He makes a new covenant with us through Jesus. By the shedding of Jesus' blood. He makes covenants. He makes promises to us. God is a God of redemption. Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and he comes and he dies for us, reconciling us to God. Receive that word. Go on receiving that word. Receive the message of God's power. That because of what Jesus has done in his resurrection, he has ushered in a new age. Nothing will ever be the same. Receive the message of power in that God has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us empowerment, and he will, the Holy Spirit will keep us until Jesus comes back for us and sets this world back in order. Receive the message. Do you see how how that term is just loaded. Receive that word. Keep on receiving it. Keep on taking it in. That's the word. That's the message. Let it take deep root in you. It's implanted. Let it embed itself deep into your life. Let it just begin to, to shape and form you how you think, what you value. This is, according to James, this word, receiving it, is what saves your souls. So this is very, very similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message or the word of the cross is just foolishness to people who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's power. It is the power of God. It has power, not just to help us improve a little bit, but to rescue us from the danger that was written over our life. It rewrote that story. It's the very similar to what Paul says in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the word. I'm not ashamed of the message of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. It delivers salvation to every person who believes. That's amazing. Lay aside everything else for that message. That message can save your soul. Live every moment for that message. That's what Jesus is demanding. He's not, he's not asking us to dabble. We dive in completely saying that message is what I want over my life. That that be the most important thing that you could say about my life. Are we, are, are we ready to receive it? Here, here's a question. So when James says, receive the word with meekness, where, where does that happen for you? Where are you receiving? Where are you taking in that message? Okay, what does that look like this past week? What does that look like on your calendar? 
What does that look like for the way your day takes shape? Where do you take it in? Where do you read about it? This message of deliverance, where do you, where do you chew on it? Where do you meditate on it? Where do you talk about it? What conversations have you had where you're receiving that message? Where are you listening? Maybe, maybe you listen to a song and it reminds you that your sins are many. His mercy is more and you could point to this place and say, I take in that message. Where are you receiving it? What are you doing to Put yourself in a place where you are going to receive with meekness. Can I get a little more pointed? This past week, did you digest more information? Did you receive more messaging about COVID and restrictions? Did you receive more messaging about Supreme Court? Did you receive more messaging about your fantasy football team? Or your hobby? Or your image? Or your likes? Or your dislikes? How did any of that weigh in comparison to the message that will save your soul? Maybe as we diagnose our own hearts with this question, maybe we are beginning to see how our priorities are misguided. And we're told to receive the word, how we do that is going to tell us a lot about where we are with God. You go to that question, how are you and God doing? One way we're going to answer that question is by, am I receiving this message? Let's keep moving on. The, the second diagnostic question I see coming out of this passage is, is this, am I putting that word into practice? So verse 22, I would think for a lot of people who've had much time in church would know at least some of this phrase, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Not just hearers, but doers. So am I putting that word into practice? Is God's message forming patterns in my life? Or is it more like I just, yeah, I I consume some things, I like listening to things, i read a little bit here and there. And then James says, he's asking a question deeper, where is that getting put into practice? Don't just be hearers, but also be doers. So, so James paints like in black and white here in like pretty stark ways. He says there is one way of listening to God's word, hearing it. And that way is you hear God's message of help and hope. You hear it, but then you forget it. You hear it and you forget it. For if anyone, verse 23, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks initially at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and he forgets what he was like. He forgets. He looked. He did look. But it just had no bearing on his life. He didn't put anything into practice. We deceive ourselves when we do this. This story that has literally changed the world. We say, yeah, I know it's changed the world. But we forget that it could change our perspective on our fears. We don't let it have any influence on our future. 
we think, yeah, I don't know that it has any bearing on where my focus should be. So this is what it would mean to hear it, but then forget it. If I take failures, if I take the future and I don't remember the word that's supposed to be like written all over my life, this message of God's power, His rule, His love, His mercy, His grace, if I forget that, I'm, it's like I, I've looked at a mirror I may even recognize something needs to change there and I walk away and I don't even remember what I looked at. There is another way to hear the word. So if one way is hearing and forgetting, the next way is hearing and putting into practice. It shapes direction of your life. The word makes a difference in decisions and values and actions. It's, it's verse 25, right? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed. The one who acts and perseveres will be blessed. So it's like looking. And there's another word used there. It's another kind of loaded term there. It's the word law. It's perfect law. The one who looks into the perfect law. Like gazes intently into that perfect law. The one who looks there is the one who, by putting time into that, Things begin to be shaped, persevering in doing, doing the word, looking into the perfect law is more than just God has this rule list and there's about a million things on the rule list and we got to follow every single rule just right and he'll probably make up some new ones as time goes on. When James is talking about the perfect law, he's talking about so much more than just a list of impersonal rules. What he's talking about, the law is God's instruction. It is his commands. It is the rules that he's laid down, but it's the instruction and the commands that guide our steps, that guide decisions. The perfect law of God pushes me. Even this week, I noticed the the perfect law of God was pushing me to make course corrections. And frankly, in my own flesh, I wouldn't want to make. But God says, this is the path. Walk in it. The law of God closes options that are going to be harmful to us and says, don't go down that path. That path is only meant for destruction. You're going to wreck your life. Don't go down that path. That law, the perfect law, is in in harmony with the message, the word, the, the story that God is writing. I'm not the law. I don't make the law. As a matter of fact, when I think, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want, that tends to lead me in a place I never wanted to go and hence they enslaved me. But actually, what James is saying is there is a perfect law and that law brings freedom. That law brings freedom. When I follow the law of God, it doesn't restrict freedom. I actually find myself with enhanced freedom, even as I'm obeying the will of another person. Because that person who told me, you need to walk this way, is the person who knows everything and loves me deeply. Where, where do you find freedom? There's this immature, reckless freedom that kind of looks at freedom and says, you know what freedom is to me? I'm going to do whatever I want and you can't stop me. It's a free country. Like that's the stuff of immature juveniles. 
there's a different way of looking at freedom. It says, I have been, I've been entrusted with so much. I've been given so much. I've been loved so much. That when I live by what God told me, I, I don't just like give benefit to my own life, but others around me now and for the future. I don't find myself enslaved when I do what God tells me. This is what it looks like when God says, hear this message and put it into practice. Take this word and live according to it. So you have fears. What is God's message of power and love and redemption? How does that get written over and inform those fears? Surely it changes things. You have failures. You have sins which are many. But what does the word do? It writes over those, those failures, those sins. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. You've got a future that you're contemplating. How do you think the message that God is writing of his love, his power, his authority, what, is that, what does that say about your future? How does that apply to your future? You have a, a ton of frustrating things you're dealing with. What is the story that God is writing? What does that mean for you? You see what it means? Does this cast a shadow at all over your life? Does it play, does this story, does this message, is it playing a primary role? Is it playing a secondary role? Is it like hardly ever comes up? I barely even think about how the cross, the resurrection, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the coming of Jesus, I, I hardly think about that at all. I think the degree to which we could say, the word has very little to do with this in my life. The message of Jesus has very little. I think that's an indicator, isn't it? We've been looking at some questions to assess where are we with God? Am I humbly receiving the word? Am I putting that word into practice? But I want to, again, look at our lives and I actually want to expand on that second question a little bit more. Question number three is an expansion on it. And question number three is this, am I putting that word into practice in specific areas of my life? So James is not going to even leave it in generalities. He's going to, in the last two verses of James 1, get very, very specific. And it's not the only things that matter in our relationship with God, but it, is, it does form some things that do matter in our relationship with God. I think each one of these is worth looking at more specifically, and maybe you'll have time to process this in your own heart or with another friend, another believer. But are there specific areas that you are evaluating? James gives you some to look at, and thank you that we don't have to just have generalities, but we have some specifics. One area that James mentions, look at verse 26. If any person thinks he is religious but doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless so here's a specific area what about your speech what about your reactions what about your responses what about verse 19 that says know this my beloved brothers let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger so how are you and God doing what about some specific areas and James says think about your speech You want to live a life that demonstrates God's righteousness? Think about your speech. 
Think about your responses. Think about your reactions. You don't want what, what is between you and God. You don't want that to be worthless. And James says, if you don't bridle your tongue, whatever you're saying about your relationship with God, your reactions are telling a different story. Discounting the value you say is there. It's convicting, isn't it? When it comes to our reactions, our speech, our responses, we need, we do need God's law of liberty saying, you don't need to go down this road because I find I could be enslaved to premature, uncontrolled, angry responses. Premature, uncontrolled, angry responses. And the complicated thing is social media will reward those things, will amplify those things. I I do have to ask, is your response, when James says to bridle your tongue, does that look like the past week? Do you find yourself more and more enraged? Even responding quicker and quicker and quicker instead of being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. You see, again, if the story, if the word is getting into our lives, if we're doing the word, if we're putting it into practice, You know what the message of good news is? Is that God has shown mercy. Do you think that could impact how you respond? Do you think the fact that God has been infinitely patient with me could mean I could extend a little more patience to others in my response? Do you see how when we know the word, when we receive it, we begin to put it into practice what happens? Look at the second area in verse 27. So, yeah, Bridle your tongue, but notice the second area. It's caring for the vulnerable, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Like, that's serious stuff. A relationship, a walk with God that is pure and undefiled. That's the way I want to live. Authentic before the Lord. Then this is what it looks like. This is the way it takes shape. You visit orphans, you visit widows. Seems like all over the Bible, it's the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. You care for the people that are most vulnerable. You could be enslaved to your selfishness. You could be enslaved to, like, I don't want to think about them. I'm just thinking about myself. But there's a different story over our life. We know God loved us when we were vulnerable. We know Jesus loved us when we were weak. We know the time that Jesus spent with the marginalized, the vulnerable, those that could seemingly offer him nothing. He spent a ton of time with them. He had hours of his day occupied with with people that needed him, needed his mercy. Is that writing a story over your life? Where does it show up? Where does it show up? Where are the concrete actions? Where is the deeper awareness that is showing these things are driving the word? I'm not just hearing it, but I'm putting it into practice. There's one more area. You see it at the end of verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and... Here's here's another area, not being polluted, not being corrupted, keeping oneself unstained from the world. Kind of even goes back to verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. Pure and undefiled religion is this, 
like a picture of our baptism where we put off the old man and we take on Jesus Christ. We put him on. We could be enslaved to our flesh. We could just do what we wanted to do. We could just be as greedy as we wanted to be. We could, if we see it, we get it, and it doesn't matter. If we want to, be, if we want to pursue pride, we just go after it. And, and James says that's, that's just rampant wickedness. No, put that off. There's something new about your life. And it is for you, yes, you are living in the world, but you are to look different because this is your story. The story of the people of Israel when God called them out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery. So this is not the way you're supposed to live. When God brought them into the promised land and says, don't live like the rest of the the tribes around you, but in in Canaan, you live, you live as my people. That's the story written over our life as well. We don't go back to the ways of living. Our story is different. So James is not going to let us give half-hearted, ho-hum answers. He's going to press us, so I ask again, how are you and God doing? Is the message something that you have received and you are receiving? Is the message you're receiving, the word you're receiving, is it being put into practice? And exactly how? Exactly how? Maybe these areas are a starting point. If I think about answering the question, how am Curtis, how are you and God doing? It's actually a terrifying question to answer if it were not for the fact that God loved us first and he loved us so much that he moved toward us even when we were totally unprepared to answer that question. And so if this has been a humbling time, this has been a convicting time, if this has exposed parts of your life, you don't need to run from God right now, you need to run to him. You need to run toward that message, that word, and let it write over your life a a different word, a different message. Father, I pray that you would help us as we give some moments of honest reflection to what you say about us, not what we want to think about ourselves. So direct our paths, Lord, give us help. I pray we would answer these questions and they might reveal something that doesn't push us away, doesn't leave us wallowing in guilt, but actually pushes us more toward grace. So you can do that, and I pray that you would. Because of who Jesus is, we ask all this in his name. Amen.